This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste. They'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad? What have you been up to? Been doing anything fun or interesting? Oh, what have we been... Do you know what? There is something that I wanted to mention and kind of share with you that's kind of put me in quite a good mood, actually, and put a bit of a spring in my step. Out of nowhere, recently, my wife, Madeline, uh, she uh, put together one of those uh, online photo books of printed out pictures, kind of loads of these phone camera pictures that we never previously look at uh, from the past year, what's been a really sort of challenging year for all sorts of people. And she did those and it was really great because it was obviously, it's been such a difficult time for everyone, us included, but it was a reminder that there was you know, there were these moments of of happiness amid what has been quite a difficult period. And like, you know, there was stuff in the park and slightly, you know, disastrous picnics that we'd had. And even screenshots of Zoom calls were sort of just a great reminder of the ways in which throughout all this, um, we managed to stick together and sort of uh, grab some moments of, of sort of respite and enjoyment for ourselves what a great idea because your kids quite young and they'll have grown a year Mm. and there's quite a lot of relatives that wouldn't have seen them in that year so grandparents grandparents that wouldn't have seen them yeah it started off as a present thing but then we just did one for ourselves which was really nice because again you don't you don't really pay attention to those things and it's it's interesting to see a record of a time that you don't remember all these kind of uh, quite precious moments um and again having said i know that you know saying this that it's it's not been an easy time and and people have not had it easy at all but um it's something that really worked for us nice i think i'm going to try that it's a good idea yeah i think mm. you totally should it's really good yeah um yeah positivity and optimism in general seem like quite good themes actually because uh today's guest is all about that positive attitude it is keris matthews perhaps best known initially as the uh front woman of 
Catatonia, the uh, mega-selling uh, Welsh Britpop outfit. Um, but now she's best known, at least to me and to a lot of her listeners, I think, as a broadcaster. Um, she's got a show on Radio 2. She's got a award-winning six music show that I think is still the most listened to um, digital uh, show around. Um, she is such a great connector of various cultures she's got her own festival um she is all about the good life she's also got a cookery book as well yes yes her book where the wild cooks go kind of brings it all together Mm. she's got food she's got poetry she's got music a community a lot about her and her foraging and she's a lot braver about foraging than i am (laughs) yeah I want to know about the foraging thing because I do find it fascinating, that kind of, uh, as you say, bravery. It's bravery. I just stick to blackberries in the summer. I think you're on safe on safe ground there. And of course, we should absolutely say that eating world food is something that you should only ever do if you've got an authoritative, robust source that's telling you exactly what you're eating and whether it should be cooked. It's not something that you should ever guess at. But this is the thing that I really love about Kara. She is, or from what I've seen or what I think I know, she's very cool, but she's got this real openness and she's all about kind of embedding yourself in cultures and meeting the locals and sharing food, sharing good times together. Um, And she's actually just arrived in the meeting room. Okay, fantastic. Here we go then. Here is our guest, Keris Matthews. Keris Matthews, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Obviously, we on this show uh, concern ourselves with obsessing about food more than anything. And it's just great to have somebody who seems just as obsessed. Have Have you always been, has it always been food and music together as one? Or was there one that you were passionate about first and then the other followed? Like, how how did that work out? Do you know what? I think some of the best times I've ever had in my life have always been a mix of things, not just purely music or purely food. It's always been great company, great stories, mm. great music and great food, and maybe even a great bottle of wine as well. You know, it's the, it's the whole life's experience. Um, and so I've always, always thought that music and food, like they always go hand in hand. And if you go into a restaurant and the music is wrong, it spoils everything. Yeah. Um, and if you go somewhere where the music is great and the music and the food isn't quite right, again, it's like, it's not the whole experience. So I suppose it always has been, although I, I've got to be honest, you know, music has been such an overriding obsession for so long. But then so has food, actually, because I always used to like sort of going out into the garden and seeing what could be eaten. Yeah, well, you've spoken about um, the fact that you had, is it Roger Phillips's book on foraging at a very young age and you were kind of going out and you had this very wild, adventurous spirit, for, even from that kind of early point. My question for foragers is always like, you know, did you have any like close calls of things that you absolutely shouldn't have been trying? 
Yeah, still, I'm still here, so uh, not close enough. But you know, when you think about aubergine eggplant, they're, they're made out of belladonna. You know, there's there's a load of, and I think tomatillos as well, tomatoes, aren't they all from the belladonna family? So we're only a hop and a skip away from things that went out and eat. But anyway, in in terms of going out and finding my own food, I I kind of think that I was brought up my, as a teenager. Let's think in the end of the 70s not teenager but as a child end of the 70s and into the 80s which which means that for a lot of families what you're looking at eating um are crispy fried pancakes libby sunshine orange maybe at the tail end of the 70s volavant with that meat paste oh yeah it, it was what was fashionable vesta curry freeze dried boil in the bag boil in the bag um it was smash smash for mash get smash <laughs> it was all really it was fashionable to have this because you know for the first time think about it um 60s and 70s more women were working mm, yeah. you know people wanted convenience yeah. you know and fast food and it was fashionable so it was all of this like pre-packaged chemical <laughs> heavy stuff did you do much of the cooking no i didn't my dad worked all the time so it was my it was down to my mum. um but she she didn't like eating anything apart from chicken and chips. So her ability to cook was rather limited. She she doesn't mind me admitting this because she's that's that's really something that I so admire in her is that at some point later on in our lives, she suddenly had this emancipation that, you know, go back to the basics and then started cooking, you know, re- from our friend Madrika put her hits next door she started cooking proper curry oh, she'd gone with the vestas and <laughs> um you know introduced dal to her life and to me dal is the lifeblood for the future of the planet all you need is dal um so watching my mum really it really inspired me to go out look looking for fresh food in in the woods behind the, the um when i say woods i mean more like a copse because it had like shopping trolleys and old mattresses i loved it because there was nettles and sorrel so and then what did you do with it as you harvest it what were you what were you cooking with it or were you just eating it neat and raw <laughs> yeah neat and raw most of the time because you get that hit of vitamin c and then you get the story of the pirates that came ashore with scurvy and they'd go looking for sorrel in the hedgerows and i like those stories um but nettle soup was a favorite i think one of my first dishes i ever made um, because it's so simple and it's so delicious and it's full of iron and it's um, very, very cheap, obviously, and easy to make. I love that you're <laughs> already um, really pointing out these links with the link to the pirates there and sort of trying to keep away scurvy and um, certain different plants and the connection of cultures. And you talk about your uh, your mother learning um, curry making from like her neighbour. And I think this is something that it, I really love that you've carried into your um, shows on Radio 2 and 6 Music is f- forging these links between cultures that we sometimes think of as disparate. Is that is that something that you always, that you always had, that you were fascinated by? Yeah, because I love history as well, especially history when it, when it means story. So I collected songs and um, fell in love with the Irish repertoire full of stories of history that, you know, I was eight and nine, and when you're that age, people are not talking to you about genocide or persecution or injustice. They're not really subjects yeah. that you usually <laughs> yeah. give access to a child. 
whereas they were all in the songs and they're all in folklore and they're all in our back catalogue of uh, mythological stories and legends. I mean, none of those subjects are taboo. These stories just, I, I think they make life very interesting and it you know every single human being wherever they're brought up in the world will have these stories that pertain to their locality their nation and then and then to swap these stories and then we'll sometimes find some of these stories exist in four or five different cultures that you would never put together like the story of Gellert yeah, yeah. which is the story of the yeah. um, lord who has his best friend as his dog comes home from hunting finds his baby killed blames the dog, kills the dog, then finds the wolf dead under the bed. So the dog had killed the wolf. So he's just, the, the Lord has just killed his faithful hound who actually saved the baby. The baby was still alive. It was the blood of the wolf that the Lord, so anyway, it's a convoluted story that is really not that convoluted usually. But the, this, this story exists in Indonesia and India as well, just using different animals. So I think the history of man is very interwoven and um, we are more similar than we are different but I love the differences too yeah it, it seems as well that it's something that that manifests and this ties in with your I hope we can talk some more about your amazing book uh, where the world cooks go um, and it seems like it's at the core of that like uh, this idea of things being linked and it ties in with uh, cuisine and and food and food culture as well doesn't it and we kind of quite often talk about all the different forms of similar dishes. Like you look at something like the Caribbean patty and the Cornish pasty. Like it's kind of really, really fascinating. And it seems like that was a really easy link for you to to be, to move this from the world of music and history to the world of food. Well, also, you know, variety is the spice of life, you know, and I think we'd be all the poorer if we just keep honing back into this Anglo-American axis, you know, English language, Anglo-American axis to me is kind of, kind of run its course. I like, I want to know about different languages and different stories and different heroes and, you know, different legends and different foods. I'm done with a burger and, <laughs> and chips. Give me something else. And that, yeah. that, I mean that the whole picture, 360, you know, because there are heroes and musicians and poets and explorers, like in my Moroccan section, I, I celebrate Ibn Battuta who should be as big as Marco Polo, yeah. you know? He's just like this mammoth traveler who went across all these thousands of kilometers and wrote about it and then went back. Yeah, I think we went traveling for like tens of years. Anyway, there are some huge, you know, that, that's what I wanted to pay attention to, not only to celebrate different cuisines across the world, but also to celebrate different legends. I love the cookbook, your cookbook. I love the fact there's so many areas to dip in and dip out of and and the way you've woven the poems and just a real mixture of recipes that are some of them are a little bit involved and others are really simple like in Spain the half a melon with sherry you couldn't get a more simple dish than that but I bet it tastes amazing it's authentic you know that's that's the other thing I don't want to cut corners I'm not going to throw chorizo in my paella I'm not gonna say get take that curry mix make your own curry mix you make your own spice mixes you know be you know what the nuts and bolts are because then you can see similarities like if you take pilaf and paella and any sort of rice dish you can start drawing the connections between these dishes that 
migrated with the, you know, with people. And then when you think about how we see people's cultures or food cultures, like in Italy, it's it's the the tomato, but the tomato didn't come to the old mm. world until the 16th century. The same as the chili in India. It's not indigenous to India. The chilies came with the Portuguese. Mm. Um, and there's so many stories like that, that like, you know, when we think of Ireland and potatoes, yeah. you know, the potatoes from South America, you know, like the chili and, and uh, like the tomato and like avocados. Yeah, yeah, definitely is something that you've seen throughout food, like not just through like home cooks, but like restaurant cooks, you know, at the top end, if you think of, new nordic which has been so influential and what they did was exactly what you're talking about they looked at what was available and they kind of you know um went further back like almost in the same way as your mum kind of to sort of what was happening before and kind of you know really dug into those traditions i wondered i could see and and hear your enthusiasm here as you talk about these uh, cultural connections and food Obviously, as you broke through with Catatonia and a uh, huge, mega-selling, hugely successful act, how was this tendency manifesting back then? Were you kind of like this then? Were you just as, when you were on tour, were you kind of going off to, to sort of find the best place to eat and the best cooks in uh, whatever country you happen to be in? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've always been passionate about great great artists and that I count chefs as artists or home cooks as well. You know, people are passionate and knowledgeable and and are generous to share, you know? So yeah, I was very lucky as a touring musician to be able to go around the world and, and be invited in people's kitchens and um, collect recipes along the way. And, and I, I collected um, stories and, and language. I love languages and food ideas and drink ideas and, um, you know, kitchen ideas, you know, shortcuts and then music and playlists. So I've got Spotify playlists for each one of the countries as well. Tell us more about the playlists. Are they linked in any way to the book? Well, basically, you know, I absolutely adore the radio or mm. music while I'm cooking. It's part of the whole sort of 360 experience and, and being, you know, the sort of captain of your own ship in the kitchen when you're cooking, choosing the music. Yeah. But to get into the mood, what I've done, like say you're cooking Italian, you you can go to Spotify if you've got Spotify and say, where the wild cooks go, Keris, playlist, Italy. Mm. And it's got a whole hour of like Sophia Loren brilliant. and some just brilliant, uplifting mm-hmm. Italian music to go that I love to listen to when I'm cooking. It's got a great um, Welsh playlist, English playlist, Jamaican playlist, Mexican playlist and so forth. There's 15 different playlists of an hour each, you know, because I think the best description really is that it's a, a folk cookbook. Yeah, food is one of those things that has got a kind of folk or like oral tradition, hasn't it, and history. And, you know, we all have that within our own families of those recipes that people just make innately and we love them and they make them in a very specific way. And, you know, I've been trying to get my mum to teach me all these Nigerian recipes that she doesn't measure anything for and just kind of, uh, uh, yeah, just knows how to do. Um, What were some of the more maybe unusual eating memories you have from that time? time of touring and meeting people i know that for a long period you lived uh, in the deep south in in the u.s so uh, what are some of the things that stick out as, as the stranger things you're introduced to 
Well, probably the American system of food, which is so divorced from real food, mm-hmm. it becomes like a complete like honey buns, Twinkies, moon pies, <laughs> just a whole endless list of food that is just chemicals. Um, so it, be- it really was the, the, the sort of catalyst to me really embracing the idea of actually we've got so far away from food as a as a human sort of family memory kitchen home you know natural thing and again it's you know when you when you talk about food there's so much that it's not just love and memories within the family it's a whole history of man so then you look at the food from the south and i'm eating breaded okra fried okra you know biscuits and biscuits and gravy (laughs) you know um and then you're eating catfish sandwiches and uh, going into sort of Kroger or Piggly Wiggly, which is the name of a supermarket there, and seeing like jars of bright pink trotters, pickled trotters. Wow. Bright, bright pink <laughs> the col- it's obviously got colouring in. It's in America. Um, but what you're doing, oh, and then ch- oh, one of my favourite words, chitterling. What's that? Chitlins. Chitterlings yeah, yeah. is uh, intestines that have been sort of boiled and boiled so they're clean. And you can have um, stuffed chitterlings or you can have fried ch- chitlins um but then you've got a tree called chinkapin tree and chitlins i just love they're just so lovely but anyway but when when you're enjoying this kind of food which is associated with the south and you're enjoying the food um that really was you know um invented by the slaves Mm -hmm. and then you get the whole history that that you know Mm -hmm. the the awful heroin history of slavery there in on Mm -hmm. your plate and because that's all that these people were given were the off cuts of the meats, the cheap cuts, and even to the vegetables, it's turnip greens. It's the waste stuff, the, the stuff that the white people or the, the sort of the elite class Discarded. chucked away. But out of this, the resilience and the invention and the brilliance of the people allow us now to enjoy what's known as soul food. Mm-hmm delicious delicious food and then you go to somewhere like new orleans and then you realize the history of the french the the french that came down that were kicked out of france and kicked out of canada came down the mississippi settled in new orleans mixed with the spanish mixed with uh, you know the first nation people in new orleans mixed with slaves and there was this pre um jim crow law there was this integration in new orleans which was reflected in the gumbo and and the food the spicy etouffee and boudin sausages in in new orleans and louisiana i mean it's just when you look at food like this it's a map of the world and a map of uh, stories of positivity and negativity of of human history and and i honestly find it just was one of the most fascinating lessons in history ever you know because it's delicious as well you know as a, as a fan of your show and you know I'm, I'm not alone in that i think at one point it was the most your, your six music show i'm talking about in particular was the most listened to show on digital radio wasn't it you know sony i think it's still is single show that's amazing um and uh, it, it just feels like such a clear progression in terms of what you're interested in and the show's such a reflection of that and these links between cultures and that kind of questioning voraciousness that you've that you've really got um i wondered uh, this feels like such a true representation of who you are but i wondered with that whole brit pop fame and kind of you know a lot of it was quite hedonistic and a lot of it was kind of you know you being the front woman 
of this uh, band that were lumped in with a kind of cool Cymru movement and all that. How do you how do you reflect on that? How did you feel about that at the time and how you were the the sort of fame that was thrust on you? Well, at, at the time. It was exciting. It's interesting, isn't it? When when more than sort of a handful of, of bands or artists, visual artists start emerging from a country, it becomes a scene and then the press, you know, hook onto it and it becomes a bigger scene and then it's branded as something, you know. Um, but the Cool Cymru thing was exactly that. We, we'd spent so many years as Welsh language and, and English um, language groups play into ourselves and not one like journalist crossing the seven bridge and every time any band from wales was written about in the music press it had the word sheep somewhere in the um <laughs> in the article you know it was so predictable and and so um underwhelming and and then all of a sudden there was a more than you know we had the gorkies like Arctic monkey and the super furry animals and the manic street preachers and um on the backs of you know decades of great musicians before us that that allowed us to have our own sort of listening I think we were listening to like Kevin Ayres and um uh, you know Welsh folk singers and hymns it was such a mix of of influences that the music that happened to be made by a lot of us in in Wales sounded fresh and a bit different to what was happening in the so-called London scene are there things you miss about that kind of level of no. fame? And no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Short answer. Not, no. Not what I wasn't very good with it, to be honest. M- many people. I mean, it was fun. I can't say it wasn't fun. Like, we met, like, you know, we tour around the world, Benny Kasim and Lorelei and Roskilder and the Fuji Rock Festival. And we'd be touring with other musicians. And there was an awful lot of fun. But it's, it's also. What I love about life is there's a, there's a rhythm to it, you know, and I was quite happy in my mid-30s to start thinking about um, diff- a different kind of life rather than perpetual touring. I tried touring with my children. They were one years old, um, was he one, or a few months old, and the other one was just over one and a half years old, both wow. in nappies on a tour bus. That's quite a challenge. That pretty much put an end to my touring uh, ambitions <laughs> as a mother of two little ones and my crew members. They were like, for God's sakes, can you shut those up? <laughs> you know, and then you're backstage with babies and they're crawling and they're tasting and putting things in their mouth when they're teething. And you're full, it's full of cables, you know, yeah. electric cables, huge, fat, electric, it doesn't really mix. But, you know, if, if, if you're multi-million and you can afford a, a nanny and a tour bus with your children so they're kind of separate from the working crew that's that's but that I mean that's that's for millionaires and gazillionaires but we were doing it in one tour bus and it, it was difficult but in terms of eating then now you're talking about riders yes you know? and, yeah um, my rider was always quite fussy though as well because I, I don't I've always been like this, but I don't like chemicals. So what did you have? What did you ask for? Was it bowls of fresh fruit or? It was, um, well, local foods where I could. So when we were in Germany, it was the, the breads, the black breads and the lovely local cheeses, but also um, nuts and but always, always, always fresh chilies because I'm addicted to fresh chilies. So crunch as well. I read somewhere that you or heard somewhere that you carry chilies around in your handbag when you're going out. Is that true? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I carry them in like um 
not all the times, but I, I usually put them in a in a plastic sort of bag, fresh, um, but fre- fresh because you need the crunch. I used to carry Tabasco, but it, it keeps open. It kept opening in the bag, and once you've had a Tabasco spill, but any <laughs> no. besides no, which no. I've moved. I've moved on from Tabasco because I prefer the crunch of French fresh chili. I think it's because we toured for so long and aeroplane food and stuff is kind of bland. Mm-hmm. And once you get a taste for spice, which yes. I have, I love sour food and textured food and spicy food. Once you get that taste, you know, and you're given like, you know, oh, my pet hate. If you don't eat meat, you're always given risotto or vegetarian lasagna. Mm-hmm. It's like baby food. Oh, it's just quite safe and tasteless, isn't it? It's yeah. baby food. It's gloop. It's like... There's no, there's no excitement, you know, visually or taste-wise or texture-wise. So I started carrying um, chilies <laughs> to, nice. to give that bit of interest to, to aeroplane food and to bland vegetarian offerings. It's good for you too. I mean, it's got it, apparently it helps with metabolism, and it's um and it's it's meant to um have vitamins and stuff in it. So mm. I thought you were going to say you got kind of lots of different varieties of dried and spiced chilies and things like, you know, that you could just sprinkle over rather than a whole one that you could chop up and add texture. But I'd not thought about the texture that a, a raw chili also brings to dishes. It's, it's good. In fact, my favourites are Waitrose, Waitrose ones, the green ones. I think some of them are from Thailand. Um, they're, they're kind of about two, three inches long, quite thin. So they're a really nice mix of like fresh tasting and enough heat to give you a little buzz in your mouth, but not too hot that you can't have a few bites. Not like the bird's eye chilies or anything like that that are probably a little bit too hot, but yeah. You want to enjoy your chilies. You don't want it to just be like, oh, my God. You know, like, oh. <laughs> mean that you, you can't know. taste anything for the rest of the meal. You don't yeah, want that. It's, it's, you've got to find the, the sort of mix that suits your taste, you know. You've touched on the fact that you don't eat meat, but that's in opposition to your family history because you're from a line of faggot makers. Is that right? Yeah, proud proud faggot makers on two sides of the family tree. Oh, wow. Um, we used to make and deliver faggots and sell them in Neath Market in South Wales. And I've got the faggot recipe of my 100-year-old, uh, 100-year-old recipe of my Auntie Dillis in the book. But my whole thing about this idea of vegetarianism, veganism, pescatarianism, gluten-free, all the rest of it, I think it's more helpful to think of it in terms of aim and ethos. The reason I've, I started gradually cutting out meat was because of the environment just in the same way as I'm trying to cut down the amount of plastics I'm using, mm. just like I'm trying out different laundry um, cleaners and, and dishwasher cleaners. And, and, and I just I think there's a lot of us that are trying by small increments and by baby steps to try and live in a more sustainable fashion. And mm-hmm. that's the reason. So I, I say I, I don't, you know, I don't want to judge anyone. I'm not here to stand on my soapbox, but for us, for our family, the less – the more we get used to the idea that you can go days without meat and absolutely enjoy your food and live a really healthy life mm. and, you know, feed all the, the adults and the children and they're really full and happy and, you know, enjoying their meals. I think it's, I think it's the pressure actually became a commercial thing that we were so used to getting cheap meat mm. all of the time that we've just got used to it in our diets every day, every meal, every day. Whereas before, it was more of a treat. And it, it was something that you looked forward to for your Sunday roast on a Sunday. And there was nothing wrong with that. 
You've mentioned dal, but what about other plant-based dishes that you're cooking that mean you don't miss meat or animal products? Well, that's what the book's about, basically. It's these sort of cheap, sustainable, daily, delicious, easy to cook and fast because, you know, we're a busy household. Um, alternatives um, and, and also flexitarian. So if you want meat and you really want meat and that's great, you can throw them in as well. But most of the, like there's a beautiful Spanish recipe that I learned when I moved to Spain when I was 18. Um, and it's, and, and we mentioned dark. Let's let's think about vegetarianism or veganisms or meat-free alternative meals, not through carbohydrates, but through legumes and beans and peas and lentils. I think that's a good place to start. Because that means you're getting your proteins. Yeah. And it's and it sustains you, you know, it makes you feel full and good, good energy. And but across all of the cultures, you're gonna find guaranteed a sustainable, delicious, cheap, fast, easy to cook meal. So in in terms of Spain, you're going to have green lentils with a whole head of garlic that you make with olive oil, chopped onion, green lentils, and you can stew it up. If you want to put meat in, you can put a chorizo sausage in or a, a hock, ham hock in there. And you can see the same one in south, in the south, in, in the southern states of America. You're going to cook your greens with your ham hock in there, and that's a lovely Sort of, sort of not as sustainable as these other examples in jamaica i tell stew so you get the fresh vegetables and then you can add chickpea or you can add some sort of you know legume in it in my own culture wales cow the traditional cow whereby according to accounts you have your cauldron sitting on your fire <laughs> and all day long you can add various vegetables as the people come in from working in the fields and then if you want a bit more sustain you know more sustenance is the word sorry um you can make dumplings and then you see that across the cultures as well. So you've got your vegetable soup with added beans, peas, or or um, legumes. And then if you want a bit more, you know, uh, calories, if you're working hard, you throw some dumplings in there. <laughs> and I love making dumplings that puff up. So they're like they're not like hard nuggets, but they're like fluffy clouds. Yeah, no, I'm feeling hungry. Oh, or fried, refried beans in Mexican mm. cooking. That's another yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Or if you go to the Punjab, then you'll have the red kidney side dish. All hail, all hail the bean. <laughs> all hail the bean. <laughs> you seem to have a really, a real adventurousness, like not just with music, but with food. It's a point we keep returning to. Are there any things that you that you've not been able to eat or that you haven't enjoyed or that you've tried and you're like and and not necessarily the processed stuff but things that you've been introduced to on your travels and you've been like nope I, I can't do that yeah I love this conversation <laughs> I can't you know I uh, let's let's each of us pick what we don't like <laughs> okay. if so, if if somebody mum oh I blame my mum and bless my mum ratatouille oh really ratatouille oh, wow. Ratta, don't ever give me ratatouille. It's, it's watery, slimy, slithery, bleh. Oh. like boiled courgette, boiled aubergine, boiled tomato stew. Ratatouille, no thank you. <laughs> As a vegetarian, if it's not if it's not a, a pasta and cheese dish or um, a risotto, do you not get ratatouille served quite regularly? Well, my well, my mum. Again, but I, my mum, because she didn't cook anything but chicken and chips, and then ratatouille was one of the first recipes she learned to cook. Ooh. So we had ratatouille so often. So that's this is where this comes from. But there's a I could honestly I could bore you to senses. I had I went to one of the most wonderful, beautiful weddings 
uh, recently in France, in Paris, in the Palace of Versailles. Wow. And uh, and it was the night before, and it was all of the sort of main friends of the, the groom meeting together to celebrate this the nuptials. And it was a French restaurant. And uh, we kept calling a friend to say, like, you know, mm-hmm. we don't eat meat. You know, <laughs> if it's a real trouble, maybe we need a bit of fish, I don't know. But normally, just we're happy with vegetables. Mm-hmm. But is there going to be something for us? Yes, yes, don't worry, don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Anyway, you know where this is headed. So we we sit down, their meals, they're up at, you know, their, their starters came, it was delicious kind of, you know, uh, cured ham or whatever. It was delicious stuff. And then the lamb comes and then, and then we're still, the vegetarians among us were just still sitting there like, you know, getting hammered on delicious wine. It's fine, you know, to throw the dog a bone. Um, but anyway, we're like, <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> it's um, oh, you know, you know, being that British kind of, oh, yes, excuse yeah, me, excuse yeah. me, what? Uh, excuse you, me. For, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry, but you know, with the, anyway, so eventually with a big sort of fanfare, they go, this is ready for the vegetarians. And they came and it was a little shot glass full of ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to fill you up. And then, and then the rest of it was some boiled potato. So anyway, that that anyway, you know what? It's it's it, it still makes me chuckle. <laughs> it was such a good night. In fact, that 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 night we had to walk back because the taxis there were no taxis to pick us. We walked back begging bars along the way for free peanuts. It's <laughs> 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 so hungry. It's it's a common thread as well that the vegetarians do not come in for the best treatment. Like you kind of get quite used to um, you know, if you know, if you've got any vegetarians in your life, you know what it's like that kind of scan of the menu and kind of the uh, particularly if you're traveling and in places, yeah. Although I'd have thought with the with the increase in the number of people that are vegetarian and vegan that that whole thing is changing, that actually more and more people are actually getting more confident in cooking vegetarian dishes. There's there's one uh, restaurant in France, that's a vegetarian restaurant, and maybe even vegan, actually, that's just been given this Michelin star. So, But I think it's it's you have to move move away. Chefs, I think, on the whole, are taught the, the, the sort of classic training for chefs is the French-based training, which is based on meats and stocks so that i think it would probably be there will be a time when chefs need to be taught the classical meat-based cooking idea french idea but in parallel to that start training with a plant-based diet because it's it is opening up and it's absolutely delicious you don't have to go far to start tasting some of the world's most delicious plant-based meals there's a lot of like Japanese, Chinese, Indonesian, Vietnamese, so many alternatives now that you can have the vegan option of those meals and tofus and tempehs and, and as we mentioned, nuts. I mean, like the vegan ha- um, haggis that I've got in, in Where the Wild Cooks Go. That looks delicious. Honestly, it's as delicious, if not more delicious than the meat haggis. It's totally inspired by the meat haggis. It's got so much black pepper and you wouldn't think that the recipe's for real. It's got like half a teaspoon or a teaspoon of black, you know, ground black pepper. It's unbelievable. That's the recipe that caught my eye when I was looking through it, thinking actually it looks really appetizing and it looks like the real haggis. It doesn't look like a substitute with the oats in there and the texture. Because that's the thing, you you want to be able to eat the same sides as everybody else, whatever their choice is. 
So that's what people quite often don't understand. Why Why are you interested in a vegetarian butcher? Why Why do you want vegetarian sausages? Why do you want vegetarian burgers? The reason is, is because these have got cultural traditions and, 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 and this is the way we eat. This goes with this. Fish goes with chips. Burgers go, you know, in a bun and, and with tomatoes and lettuce. You want to be able to your burgers and mash, bangers and mash. You want to be able to sit and share the same. You don't want to sit there eating like, lasagna or that's to when everyone else is having a roast dinner you want to sit there with your roast dinner but not have the meat but have a a couple of extra portions of Yorkshire pudding if you're having a barbecue or a campfire you want to be able to cook your sausages over over them and have them in a bun like everyone else so yeah exactly so for a normal it's a busy house you've got so does that mean you're doing the cooking your daughter's now doing some of the cooking too do the do your other children help in the kitchen or does the lion's share still come to you to do? My whole thing with cooking is that it's it's an enlightenment. It's revolutionary. It's it's a means to save money. It's a means to have options. It, it opens the whole chest of drawers of options if you know what goes with what and how the increments work together and the variables that you have at hand. So if you allow your children access to the fire, the salt, the fat, you know, the sour, and, and, and see what goes with what from a really early age, I think you're giving more power to their bow. Um, so yeah, I encourage them. I, in fact, my husband, like, sometimes is like, despairing aren't they too young to start cooking no 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 i mean i think from a very early age children you know say it's hot you know even when they're tiny do you have to teach them dangers and how to be able to avoid danger you know so yeah all the children the only problem is the mess they leave but yes i'm now trying to teach them to clean up after themselves how have you managed to maintain that sense of kind of magic and discovery and wonder when you're all cooped up in the same house and presumably you've been you know recording your your been continuing working and all on top of each other like how have you coped essentially well we have like this is our treat. We have fish and chips, or not the fish bit, but we have chips and curry sauce every Thursday, which we oh, seem excellent. to look forward to. We used to do that. As I, when I was a kid, we used to have, you know, because it's just a break from cleaning up, basically, because that's I think that's what, <laughs> yeah. you know, breakfast, lunches, and dinner for all the people in the house every day is a lot of sorting and cleaning. And I think that's what it's like kind of, oh, really? Because I don't, anyway, so chips chips we have on a Thursday, which is a break. But also I am lucky because uh, my daughter cooks for us. As I mentioned, she's 17 now and um, she's she's really inventive and, and it's brilliant to watch her. Amazing. Um, we've covered so much ground, but just when you were talking then about introducing kids to uh, the risk and the sort of joy of cooking and trying things and trial and error, it was making me think of your festival, the Good Life uh, Experience, which um, uh, has been running for quite a few years now and seems, um, I've seen you talk about that. Um, what's the future for it? Can you talk us through where the idea came from and what it was you were, you were hoping to achieve? It sounds like such a great great idea and so it, it means that we're, we're sort of ending where we began questioning what makes for a good time you know what do you enjoy doing what's what what makes your memories what are the most memorable moments and for me it's exchange of information great company fire real fire um great food and um, whatever your tipple is and music 
all of those things. So I wanted a festival which combined everything. So you have passionate small producers, artisan makers, blacksmiths, um, bow and arrow makers, wood carvers, musicians, poets, comedians, whatever, um, sausage makers, you know, chefs. We got some of the best chefs around the world come, but they don't cook on stainless steel, uh, top of the range uh, ovens. They cook on fire. It's just a celebration of life, basically, in, in, the, in the more, you know, uncommercial kind of setting. This has been incredible. I feel like we've spanned the globe while uh, not moving at all. And it's been so enriching and enjoyable and just great. I could talk to you all day, but we will let you go away. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for all the research and things. It's been lovely talking to you as well. And enjoy your chips and curry sauce tonight. Oh, yes, it's Thursday. <laughs> You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavie, and our guest, Keris Matthews. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.